Good morning. Christmas just keeps getting closer and closer, and I'm not quite ready for it. Um, <clears throat> so, don't step on the grass. Uh, if you ever seen a sign like that, just show of hands, who has ever seen a sign that said, don't step on the grass? <laughs> if you're like me, you would be like a step into the grass when you see the sign and realize you're not supposed to step on the grass. Truth be told, that sign's there because at some point somebody stepped on the grass. Um, one of my favorite things, this is guilty pleasure of mine, is perusing the internet for like memes and funny pictures and just to bring myself, you know, enjoying the little things. Um, and I love signs. I love funny signs. And one of my favorite ones is, it was at a pet store, and it was a long time ago. It was at a Petco, and we were looking through the fish. And it was, you know, I was, with my, I was a kid at that point, and I read a sign, and it said, please do not pet the fish. <laughs> and I, I was like, wow, it had not occurred to me to pet the fish, but it occurred to somebody at some point, and thus the rule was made, don't pet the fish. There was another one, and it was at a, this, I saw this one. This was one of the, the ones I found on the internet. It was a picture of a, a llama, and right next to the llama, a big placard on, on the fence, uh, it said, please do not punch the llamas. So at some point, somebody thought it would punch the llamas. Not, not a kind thing to do, and so a rule was made. And then one of the other ones, again, a different zoo, had to do with alligators. And it said, please do not feed hallucinogenic mushrooms to the alligators. I don't know why all of these are animal-based, <laughs> but, but it happens. We, somebody has a terrible idea, and then a rule is made. So I was actually looking through, uh, through our country and trying to figure out, I had a question. How many laws are in our country? Just how many? Like, I was thinking, well, there's, there, there, you know, there's city laws and state laws and federal laws. Well, just, just concerning federal laws, um, this is probably the biggest window I've ever, I've ever seen. It said there are roughly 15,000 to 50,000 federal laws. Nobody, didn't know, nobody knew exactly how many, but they said that, that you know, that ought to cover it, that window. And this led me to another, another, another road. I had to find some of the weirdest state laws I could find. And so here are four. No, here are five. Oh, I have five. It's going to be delightful. Um, California. This one's, this one's a good one. Um, <laughs> if a frog dies during a frog jumping contest, uh, it should not be eaten. And it must be destroyed as soon as possible. Yeah, I mean, you got to get it covered. I just, again, somebody at some point said, anybody hungry? <laughs> Florida. Um, it is illegal for people who own bars or restaurants or other places that sell alcohol. They may be fined up to $1,000 if their establishment participates in a dwarf throwing competition. I don't make the laws. And, and, and so in Kentucky, another one, Kentucky, 
Um, every legislator, anyone running for public office, any lawyer, they, can, they have to take an oath whenever they, they take office that states that they have not fought in a duel with a deadly weapon. Uh, this led to another question that, that technically in Kentucky, dueling with a deadly weapon isn't illegal. And so, you know, they had to make a rule to cover that. Um, and in Minnesota, the, our, our last one here, um, any contestant in which participates, okay, so a contestant cannot participate in trying to capture a greased or oiled pig. You cannot, you cannot participate in, in, in grabbing an oiled pig or to competition concerning that. <sighs> so the, I, a little bit of joy to my heart to know laws like that still exist and are currently, current, these are current laws that still in effect in these country, in these states. Um, and so that next, just within the first five books of the Bible alone, there are actually 613 laws in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Um, there are actually 248 positive commandments, do's, do this, do this, do this, do that, and 365 negative commandments, or do nots. And, and, and within those laws, they're broken up into three different categories. We have civil laws, um, which they apply only to the nation of Israel and how nation of Israel, you know, uh, they, they, they do with their dealings. Um, business, commercial, you know, treat each other, uh, and just, you know, all the civil fun stuff. They have ceremonial laws that speak of cleanliness and, and, and with the priestly orders and Levitical, the Levitical laws, and, and they involve worship. And finally, there are moral laws like the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet thy neighbors. Um, and so, again, still going through the theme of, of listing out laws, Leviticus has a couple great ones. And so, uh, these are not quite as funny, but they're important. In Leviticus 19, 9 through 10, there's a law about your fields and how you're supposed to leave your fields. And it says, do not, do not fully reap the corners of your field. Because, and you can't, and I, and I don't want you to pick up the fallen individual grapes off the ground either. And there was a very specific purpose for this law. And it was so that the poor and the stranger could go into any field and know that there was something for them to eat. Um, look at it, Leviticus 19.14. is very specific. You shall not curse a deaf person. Or try to trip a blind person. I feel like that's obvious. That's just not cool, guys. Um, but somebody had to make a law about it. Um, you shall not take revenge or bear a grudge against a member of your people. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Leviticus 19.18. Leviticus 19.28 this is a controversial one. You shall not make cuts in your flesh for a person who has died. You shall not etch a tattoo on yourself. 33, a stranger who sojourns in your land, you shall not taunt him. And 35, you shall not commit perversion of justice with measures, weights, or liquid measures. 
613. 613. So there's a theme here. We're talking about rules and we're talking about laws. And, and, and trust me, I'm not going to read out all, all, hundred, all 613 laws. Um, but there's a purpose to this. There's a reason why we're talking about rules and laws. And it's a very, very specific purpose. And it's because we're talking about how Jesus broke the laws, how Jesus changed the laws. We're currently going through our Advent series uh, as we approach Christmas. And we're looking about, and the name of our series is He Had to Be Born. And we're exploring this very, very important concept. And it's a big word, and it's a fun word, and it's two words. Hypostatic union. Hypostatic union. We'll go this way. because uh, So hypostatic union has to do with a very, very specific aspect of Jesus. And it's one that just kind of tickles the back of your brain. And it's the fact that Jesus has two natures. He is both fully God and he is fully man, fully God and fully man. And so I, if, I don't know if any of you have worked in percentages, but that doesn't, that's, that's 100% God and 100% man. And therefore, it hurts our brains a little bit to think about. And so if that's frustrating to not be able to wrap your mind around it and or a little bit confusing, that's okay. Because one of the things that we'll quickly realize as we learn about God is that the more we learn about him, the more we understand how little we understand about him. And that's a little beautiful. Because who wants to believe in a God that we can fully understand right here and right now? And truly, we can't. But that's where faith comes in. That's the beauty of it. That's where trust comes in. And so we're exploring how that fully human side of Jesus, how did that fully human side of Jesus break or change or affect how we think of the laws? And so we are going to be reading, uh, we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 8. So if you want to open up your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 8 is in the New Testament. And uh, interesting facts about Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it. Uh, we know that Hebrews was, was written to a, a primarily Jewish audience, probably Jewish Christians, uh, because it, it requires the readers to have a, a, a functioning knowledge of the covenants and, and the laws and the traditions and all the amazing things about Jewish history. And so we get in a sense that, you know, Hebrews was written to maybe, maybe it was written to Hebrews. And so we're going to be reading in, in Hebrews chapter 8. And, uh, and we're going to read the whole chapter, and so bear with me. It's a little bit long, but it's awesome stuff. All right, here we go, uh, starting in verse 1. Now, the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by mere human beings. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. And if he were on earth, he would not be a priest for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at the sanctuary that is a copy, a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses, wa this is what, 
This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus had received is a superior one to to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. All right. So I, 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 as I've been learning and reading and, and figuring out a way to teach how Jesus affected the covenant, I've, I've gotten, I got jazzed about it because there's so many beautiful ways that the Bible from all the way at the beginning to all the way at the end all have this thread, this thread that follows through history, through, through, it, through Jewish history and, and through all of the terrible things that happened all the way from creation, all the way to where Jesus was born and even, even to, to, to Jesus's ascension and, and acts. And the amazing thing about this is that we see that God had his hand in how, in how, the, world was ma- in how the world was made and how he wanted to bring us back. And so there's a lot of big words in here and a lot of confusing things, but uh, we're going to dive into it. We have this thing called the tabernacle. And so for us to understand what the tabernacle is, I kind of want to start at the beginning. Way back in the beginning, we had Adam. He was the first guy. And we had Eve, she was the first gal. And together, they made a mistake. And, uh, and, they, and they ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And they learned about this really fun concept called sin. And when they learned about sin, they learned about the law. They learned that, that, that uh, there's a whole lot of do's and don'ts. And as we get to see humanity progress, Cain and Abel were the first kids of Adam and Eve. And they explored a new concept, what Cain did, called murder. He was the first guy to kill anybody, and he killed his brother. And, uh, and because of that, they had a new law. <laughs> and essentially, we get to see throughout the first five books of the, of, of the New Testament, the Torah that we were talking about, those 613 laws, they're not listed out like throughout the whole five books of the Bible. They're not. The Bible isn't a list of rules. What essentially we get is we get Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy that follow Israelite history, and we get to see every single time they make a mistake, we get a few more laws. You know, our, 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 we had the big 10, the 10 commandments. Thou shall, thou shall not steal, thou shall not kill. We, we, we learned about them in Sunday school, and they were brought down by Moses. And when they, they, they interacted with those, they're like, all right, 10 rules. That's not too bad. We can do that. They did not. They failed miserably. They, 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 they crashed the ship. And because of that, they did one of, the, one of the worst things. They said, you know what? Hey, why don't we just not, this God has rules. If we make a golden calf, we could worship it. Golden calves don't talk. They don't give us rules. It's a little bit easier to do what we want if we ignore the God who gave us rules. And so they did that. And then they, they, they had to face the consequences for following away from God. And there were a few more rules. And there were a few more rules to the point where they had 613 rules and they were surrounded on all sides by rules and rules and rules and rules that they could never hope to, to follow perfectly, that they could never hope to tackle. And so... 
God began making a covenant. The first covenant was with Noah. And this one actually happened after he flooded the world. God saw just how bad and broken the world had got. And he says, I, I, we got to do it over. It's too far gone. And if there's a point where God says it's too far gone, I can only imagine, we, our own imagination can see just how far humanity had gone for, Jesus, for God to take that route. But afterwards, he had picked a handful of, he had picked a handful of people and he had, he had put them in a boat and ark. It was Noah and his family. And after it was all said and done, he made a promise to them. He made a covenant. You see, when we think about Jesus and we think about God, we always think about the relationship. We say it all the time. It's not religion, it's a relationship. Well, you know, what does that relationship look like? Well, we talk about, well, sometimes it's God as our father. Sometimes it's God as our friend. But there's an important relationship we have with God. And it was a relationship that, that everyone throughout history had with God. And it was, extending, it was extending a hand from God to us. It was a handshake. It was a partnership. It was something called a covenant. It was a contract. And the first one that God made was with Noah. And he said, I promise that I will never deal with sin that way again. I will never flood and destroy the world. That was the first contract. Noah didn't have anything on his side of it. It was just God. And he said, this is a covenant I make to you, a promise I make to you. And so down the road, Noah's family grows. They get bigger and bigger and bigger, and they become, they break off. We have different, we have different, different families that go to different locations. And God chooses a, a specific man, Abram. And he makes a covenant with Abram. This is his second covenant he makes. And he reaches out his hand to Abraham and he says, I'm going to make you a promise. He says, I'm going to give your wife a child. And from that child, you will have offspring that just outnumbers the stars. And Abraham left. Because he's like, I'm super old, God. And she's old too. And I don't see that happening. But he said, this is a promise I make to you. And he made a promise with Abraham. He says, you follow my laws and my commandments and I will bless you and I will bless your people. Well, God's handshake on that part, he kept his part. He kept his side. However, the descendants of Abraham let go. They broke the covenant that he had made with them. And down the road, there are this tribe, this tribe called Israel and Moses. And that's where we get to that, 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 uh, that, um, that, uh, that golden calf we talked about. And this is the third covenant. And this covenant, he said again, follow me and I will bless you and I will take you to a land and I will prosper you if you follow and obey my commandments. And once again, they released. They followed their own idols. They followed their own desires and they left God to do whatever God wanted to do, and they went and did what they wanted to do. They broke their side of the commandment again for the second time. And then, finally, finally, a third and final covenant was made. Um, have I been saying commandment or covenant? I just <laughs> a little bit of both. So they're covenants, sorry, if, I, if I'm mistaken. He made a covenant, a covenant with Noah, a covenant with Israel, a covenant with Abraham, and now finally a covenant with David. And he said, from you, from your line, King David, I will bring an offspring 
that will bring light to the world. And so we had three covenants that didn't work out real great. We had three covenants that us as humans kept breaking and following and letting go of our side of the partnership. And, and, and so there was a point where we needed a solution. We were bound by sin. And, and, and to atone for sin throughout these covenants, we, we had talked about one of the kinds of laws was a ceremonial law. And, and in the ceremonial law, there was, there was uh, an altar, and there were priests, and there was this tabernacle where sacrifices were made, because people were still sinning, there was still brokenness, and they had to pay for it somehow. And so, we had some laws about that. They would take a sacrifice, usually a lamb, occasionally a bull, sometimes a dove, depending on, on the grievance, depending on the kind of ceremonial sacrifice. And they would take the animal and they would lay it on an altar and they would sacrifice it. And they would take the blood from that animal and they would clean the tabernacle. They would clean where they lived because there was something about this sacrifice that for the time being was covering the sins. And it was these high priests that would make these sacrifices. But these sacrifices were incomplete and they couldn't, they couldn't cover all the sin because you know what, guess what? I, I, I made a sacrifice yesterday, but I, I messed up today and I gotta do it again. And, and the leaders would make sacrifices for the people, but the people wouldn't stop sinning and so it wouldn't be enough. And so animal after animal after animal had to die the price that was needed for sin. The price that was needed for sin was death. It was the only way that we could pay for breaking this law. And now, we have in Hebrews 8, talking about the final high priest and refers to Jesus. Because those high priests, what were they doing? They were making sacrifices to pay for the sins of others and for themselves and constantly cleaning their land. But none of those sacrifices were enough. And so they said, we have a final high priest, the highest priest, the priest of a new covenant because the old covenant was, was, it was imperfect. Why was the old covenant imperfect? Not because God was imperfect, because we couldn't follow it. We could not hold tightly enough to these laws to make it happen, to make it work and so, God knew we needed something else. And so, Jesus, as a high priest, took one last sacrifice, himself. And he did something. Long before, long before he died on the Christ, he was born. And when he was born, he took on something. He took on humanity. And he became 100% human. So as he could come around and take his hand as a human and take that covenant that every human up to that point had always broken and do it right this time. He was able to take the hand, the other hand. So it was essentially God on both sides, God the Father and God the Son 
doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so Jesus, in one last offering, as the highest of priests, took the hand that, 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 that uh, Abraham had coveted, and he was the perfect descendant of Abraham. He was the perfect Israelite in the covenant with Moses and Israel. And he was that descendant of David that would live the perfect life. And he died. One last death. A perfect life lived, bearing all the sins of the world so that he would take on the payment that we had all needed to pay. He died the death that we needed to die. And he did something else with that humanity. Well, it's the main part of it, is that he was able to live a perfect life on this earth as fully human and give us an amazing example of what that looks like. I want to read, um, actually, I don't have it here. Oh, I do actually. When Jesus was on this earth, when he walked and when he lived, he broke the law a lot. He made Pharisees angry. He made the religious leaders angry. He made people upset. Because of these 613 laws that they had spent all this time building up, there were laws about, about when you should eat, what meat you should eat, uh, what kind of clothes you should stitch together, um, whether or not to put tattoos on your body. There were so many, so many little laws because of all of the things that the Israelites had did and they had broken. And Jesus came in, and he came in, and he lived, and he lived, and he lived the law perfectly, but he lived it in a way that absolutely confounded everybody who had known it up to this point. Because they say, well, he, Jesus, Jesus fed people on the Sabbath. You can't do that. We have a law about that. How dare he? How dare he eat with sinners? How dare he eat with, how dare he talk and touch the broken and the unclean? We have laws about that. But we realize that at some point, the Israelites had missed the big picture. Because Jesus stated a commandment. When he was tested, when he was asked, said, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together and one of them, an expert of the law, tested him with a question. He said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus looked up at him and he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so we take these two commandments and we nail them in the wall. And we see all these 611 commandments. They hang and dangle from it. And so in the mess of all of these laws, the Israelites had forgotten the most important things that they were supposed to do. They were supposed to love each other and love God. I want to read a little bit of, of Leviticus 19. Not, not the... Uh, because it's surprisingly like what Jesus lived. 
unfortunately, I didn't write it down, so I have to use technology, and we all know how that goes. Leviticus 19. Each of you must respect your mother and father. Do not turn to idols. Do not steal. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not cheat people by holding back their wages. Do not curse the deaf or stumble the blind. Do not slander. Do not endanger your neighbor. Do not hate. Do not wreak vengeance. We realize that Jesus had so many of these laws that he talked about. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemy. Forgive those who curse you. None of these things were new things to the Israelites. But Jesus was living them out perfectly in a way that was entirely different. The emphasis was on something else. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisee, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, your dill, and your cumin, but you have neglected the most important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former, but they had made the former the most important part. And so Jesus did amazing things. As he went to the Mount of Olives, at dawn in the temple of courts, it was rustling and it was bustling. Teachers, Pharisees, took a young woman, probably forcefully and very, very rigorously took her and threw her at the feet of Jesus. And they said, this woman is an adulterer. What should we do with her, Jesus? And he took his finger and he sat. He knelt down and he wrote on the ground, not really paying them a whole lot of mind. And he said one thing. Let you who is without sin cast the first stone. And they left. And it was just him and this adulterous woman. And he asked her, he said, woman, where are they who condemn you? And she said, no one, sir. He says, then neither do I condemn you. Go and live your life. Go and, go and leave your life of sin. The adulteress. There are so many laws about adultery in the Old Testament and things you have to do and things you have to do to avoid it. But Jesus lived it with mercy and forgiveness. The point being to restore, to empower. And Jesus with Zacchaeus, a guy who had spent time swindling, he went and sat in his home and he ate with him. He did something that was obscene, it was un unheard of, to take somebody that, was just, that had just turned their back on the nation of Israel and had hurt and cut deep with his, with his, his thievery. And Jesus not only stretched a hand out, but took it, pulled him in, and said, I want to eat with you, and sat down with him, and ate with him, and changed Zacchaeus in a way that the law couldn't, that the Pharisees couldn't. And so there's a point where Jesus had lived a life that showed us, hey, 
It's about loving God and it's about loving each other. And so as I close, I want to ask, what does that look like? What does that look like in our families? Well, I tell you this. We have some amazing fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are things we should infuse into our relationships. But there's another huge part about this, and it's our community. Jesus didn't want us to leave the poor and the powerless forgotten. He emphasized how important it was for us to care for the homeless, care for the lost, care for those that, 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 are, that are bound in drugs. And, and in many ways, Roger has said this a dozen times, we've all said this a dozen times, it's about crossing bridges, the scary bridges, where we don't know what's on the other side, we don't know who's on the other side. Crossing that bridge, grabbing onto somebody that's hurting and broken and treating them like they are an image bearer of God. And that's what true service is about. It's not about making somebody feel demeaned for your helping them, but to give them the opportunity to feel human and loved and worthy. And that's what Jesus did every step of the way while he was on earth. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for the opportunity to learn about your covenant, to learn about your, how you fulfilled it for us in a way that we never could have on our own, the way that you've loved and tended to us and cared for us all the way throughout history and have brought us to a place now where we get to have a connection with you, a relationship with you, unlike any we have ever seen. Be with us and give us strength as we learn to live in a new covenant, one of love and obedience and not in sin and death. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.